The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. Happy February, viewers and listeners. So excited to have you joining us for this brand new month. A lot of great stuff in store. A lot of great episodes coming up this month. And I, I get to know this before all you do, right? Because I know who our guests are going to be for this month. I know some of the topics. It's going to be a blast. So I got, I'm glad I got you here on the front end. I'll tell you this. You stay with us through the whole month of February. You will not regret it. It's going to be an absolute blast. And we're starting off strong, viewers and listeners, because our co-host joining us right now is going to put a smile on everybody's face. Zach Sloan's here. Hey, Zach. How's it going, Ryan? I sound like, yeah. No, I'm, Zach, I'm. my voice isn't that bad, but I do not feel great. I'm playing hurt, but I'm playing hurt tonight because I love you, Ryan. Oh, love you too, man. And let me say both of these things with equal amounts of fire and conviction. One, I am so unbelievably happy to see you because it has been too long and I miss you and I love you and I'm glad you're here. Also, I say this with equal amounts of conviction. You sound like hell. <laughs> I have for the uh, uh, I'm not going to say the clinical term, but I will say hand, foot, and mouth disease. My uh, daughter passed it along, and so uh-huh. it's great. People, five stars would not you do know because your 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 child, who's a little bit older than my baby, yeah, I, I assume is now in that go to daycare, yep. preschool around the germs of other children phase of parenting, right? You know it, and. Um, I gotta say hand, foot, and mouth disease, uh, sucks, but, uh, I'm uh, hopefully on the back end of it because we've got, I'm so excited for our show. We've got a guest that I'm thrilled. He's been a buddy of mine for forever. And, uh, I can't wait to talk about his Kickstarter because when he, when I first heard about it, I thought it was a terrible idea and I was wrong. <laughs> I am excited very much for our guest. Uh, Jeremy Facknitz is joining us, a terrific indie folk artist who has an equally terrific Kickstarter campaign that despite uh, your skepticism, it sounds like was a massive success and uh, kind of an interesting strategy with this Kickstarter. I want to kind of bury the, you know, hide the ball a little bit as to what it was to keep people around. It's what we in the radio business call a tease. But for those of you who are interested in the potential of Kickstarter and what it can be for your, uh, whatever you do as a creator, you're going to want to stick around and see what our guest Jeremy Fax, uh, Facknitz did with the Kickstarter it was absolutely cool. But I need to talk to you more about this parenting thing, Zach. Let's do because, it. Because you, you got me a little worried, all right? Because my, my newborn, who's only six months old, is not in that phase where he's around other children. He's not doing daycare yet. And now you got me like thinking I don't want to do this. Like I think I'm going to have my kid like around me the way that Tony Stark has his kid around him in uh, the second Infinity War movie. Uh where like, you know, just keeps him like in a log cabin with him and pepper pots far, far away from everybody to not get any of the germs near them. Like that's that thinking that's the strategy now, because I didn't even know that hand, foot and mouth disease was a real thing until you brought it up right now. And it sounds terrible. It's and you fun. sound terrible. Um, I will say this. Uh, all my parenting advice is always just do whatever you do, whatever the heck you want. Um, as long as you're not hurting a child, because you know I used to be a child abuse attorney, so blah, blah, blah. But as long as you're not hurting a child, your opinions are as valid as any other parent. We're all making it up as we go. Uh, um, yeah. you know. And plus, dude, I hate to drop the germ phobia on you, but you live in Miami. There's no getting away from the germs. <laughs> it's just not going to happen, dude. <laughs> Um, just, just living here, you're saying, is something of an infectious <sighs> disease hazard. Yeah, that's I can't. I can't argue with that. Um, so, you know, do, do what you will. All right. Now, since since you've been on the show, Zach, we have uh, 
unleashed a new segment upon the world that actually got started on an episode that you were on where we first started talking about having Chad GPT give advice to indie creators. It became such a hit that we created a whole segment around it called the AI Overlords Tip of the Week. Let's go ahead and get that segment started. Now, for those new to the proceedings, uh, what we do with the AI overlord tip, tip of the week is we ask our AI overlord, ChatGPT, to just give us a piece of advice for indie creators. And ChatGPT gave us a good one this week, as ChatGPT always does. Here's our AI overlord tip of the week. As an independent creator, it is important to stay up to date with the latest tools and technologies that can help you improve and grow your work. This could include new software for editing audio or video, new platforms for sharing and distributing your content, or new tools for growing and engaging your audience. Don't be afraid to experiment with new tools and see what works best for you, but also be mindful of not getting bogged down with too many new tools or technologies all at once. Instead, focus on mastering a few key tools that will have the biggest impact on your work, and then gradually add more as you go along. I feel like this... The Overlord is really directing the advice more into your wheelhouse, music producer Zach Sloan. Is there a tool that you are like particularly excited about these days? You know, uh, first of all, I agree with that, all that um, cribbit wholesale. I love that. I'll tell you, a, a tool that has been tickling, like I'm in the back of my mind going to do something with, is actually using AI to animate a music video. Um, and Whoa. that is that's the next thing kind of on my horizon and that whole idea got sparked on this show back when we first did this um and it's it's the thing that i I, i'm gonna dial in on and figure out how to do next so the tool that you're actually excited about right now is ai it is because and i think it'll be fun to talk to jeremy about this too but like making a music video as an independent artist is expensive and time consuming and to make a good one really really hard and if we can offload some of that to AI, I mean, think of how that level can level the playing field for an indie artist compared to the majors. And it's just something that I want to figure out if it's viable or not. So I'm just going to do it myself. That is pretty exciting. I mean, I'll, I'll say this, Zach, because I am intrigued by this, because this is the first time I've heard of the idea of AI being used in this way, right? I've heard of AI being used to create still images or certainly be being used to generate text as we do with the AI Overlord Tip of the Week segment. But I assume what you're talking about is not that far off on the horizon. What I would ask is that as you continue with this journey, keep us posted on it. I want to see how this goes and see kind of your process, because I think all the viewers and listeners would be eager to find out what the potential is in this area. Because you're right. Music video is super expensive. And in a weird way, becoming that like there was this time where music videos weren't necessary. Then it was lyric videos. Then it was, you know, and now it seems like they're sort of coming back into vogue, which is odd to me. Um, but it's just me being mindful of the indie creator's pocketbook. I'm like, how do we make this accessible? How can just somebody who has a great song make a video for it that doesn't suck? And uh, that's what I want to figure out how to do. So don't worry, BTB fans. I'm going to be uh, working on that, and I'll keep you posted. Very cool. Now, speaking of things that I know are also occupying your mind right now, Zach, that uh, honestly, I should have been on top of, and I'm kicking myself that I'm not, but that's why I'm glad you're here. Cause you were on top of this. I know you've been talking and thinking a lot about the latest release of the rock and roll hall of fame nominees. I'm sure you have all the thoughts about this. Can you tell us what's been going on with that? Absolutely. So every year, the rock and roll hall of fame lists, you know, they release their list of potential nominees and you can vote online, blah, blah, blah. Um, and every year I complain about it. And this goes back to before I was a co-host on the show, back when I was just a fan of the show, I would tweet at Ryan and just talk crap about how they didn't nominate the right people. This year, they actually nominated a lot of great artists. Um, the White Stripes, one of my favorite bands. Uh, Cindy Lauper's finally getting nominated. You know, some good stuff. But Ryan, I have a hot tip, a hot take for you. Um, a band that did not get nominated, that should be nominated, under the very criteria of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, is going to blow everybody away. First of all, criteria, first commercial recording had to come out in 1997 or earlier, right? So um, that's the first piece. Second piece, substantial impact in rock and roll for the genre, for music generally. Now, that's really broad because remember last year when Dolly Parton got in? 
Mm-hmm. Rock and roll. So <laughs> here is my pitch who should be on there. This band has sold uh, over 30 million albums worldwide compared to the White Stripes who are on the list this year who sold a total of 6 million albums, 6.1 million. Uh, had some of the largest grossing tours ever. Had one album go diamond, so over 10 million sold. Yeah, nobody do, do does these, that anymore. Does this, yeah, that nobody does that anymore. Does this band sound like somebody who might qualify? I would assume in a just and fair world should be a shoe-in for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And as a guitar player, their guitar player is ungodly. Since he left that band, he has done two other bands where he has just ripped it up and down. Guitar hero, one of the last remaining true guitar gods. Are you ready for the band that, based on this criteria, should I'm be so excited. Creed. Oh! You know what? Yeah! I It pains me to say it because I don't personally like Creed. But when we're looking at this and I'm seeing who's got in before, I I feel like it's kind of, I mean, don't get me wrong, Ozzy Osbourne's not in. So they, they have some oversights. Yeah. But this is just me sort of poking at the absurdity of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, but Creed, they they had their lowest selling album, not kind of the greatest hits, sold more than the than the White Stripes entire catalog. So can I, let me say something about Creed here. And th- those are your boys. They're from Florida, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> so like I say, what I'm like what I'm about to say is going to be a defensive Creed, and this is coming from somebody who credits Scott Stapp with creating the worst sports song ever written. Uh, true and story. this song is so bad that like the moment it came out, it was the, the team that it was written for, like not only like stopped using it by the fifth game of the season, but then went on this crusade to like remove any evidence of this song from the planet. Like if you, if your YouTube skills are, you know, ninja level, you might be able to find this track, but Scott Stapp wrote, a hype song for the Florida, yeah, back then when they were the Florida Marlins. Mm-hmm. This is this must have been like 15 years ago or something, maybe it's more. Hilarious. It is so bad. All right, and as a Marlins fan, it's it it, it is the darkest point of, of a franchise that has had many dark points. Now, so I say that on the front end, and now I'm going. And now, so this is not for, not somebody who just is an apologist for Creed. All right, I will I will absolutely call them out when they fail, but. You're absolutely right when you say they are a strong candidate for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I think there are a lot of artists out there that we do this with that are immensely popular. And then we all decide to hate them because we think it's cool to hate them. And then we try to say that we've always hated them. But as you aptly noted, Zach, Human Clay, the album Human Clay, sold over 10 million copies. So all of us saying that Creed sucks, there are at least 10 million of us that are lying. And don't well, think Creed sucks. Like, I mean, we like when when freaking Hire came out and with Arms Wide Open came out, we were all obsessed with this band. And then we just decided at some point that it was cool to hate them, even though they enraptured us for about a three year span. And so I would like listeners of Break the Business podcast who I know on Twitter are always fair and just to never go after the hot take. Um, I would just like to point out that Ryan has also ostensibly back Nickelback as well uh, because everything he said about Nickelback or about Creed you could say about Nickelback as well let me say this about Nickelback boy you're just you're gonna have me defending like every that was every band intent. that we I'm love see to how hate. far I can go with this let's see if I can get you really just like <laughs> defending just the Backstreet Boys or something let's do it so here's the thing about Nickelback all right man <laughs> This is going to be hard. I'm going to get so much This is, this is what happens this. when you let another lawyer on the show. So the thing about Nickelback, because again, Nickelback, that's another one, right? That like has sold millions of records. So there's a whole bunch of people out there saying they don't like Nickelback and they're lying and secretly like have, uh-huh. you know, their, those albums under their pillow. Um, so like we all, you know, a lot of people make fun of Photograph and, and some of their more mainstream singles. The Nickelback B-sides, where they're just trying to rock out and aren't trying to go for top 40 radio, good songs. Yeah. You know, like, after you get past, like, the first three tracks and it's just them trying to rock without having to impress a record executive, good rock songs. Yeah. I I mean, I own one Nickelback album. I was in a band once that did a Nickelback song. Um, they're, I, I, I find them largely unobjectionable. I mean... <laughs> 
I, I think the, my point to all of this is, is, as my point is always, is like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's criteria are so ridiculous that at some point, like, I don't understand the point. And I think it's hilarious when a band like Motley Crue that is all about pomp and circumstance and never has been about substance is like, yeah, that's too, that's not real enough for us. We're yeah. going to go back to pretending like we're shouting at the devil over here. Um, so yeah, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You you heard it here. Uh, Break the business it officially endorses Creed and Nickelback. <laughs> I mean, as you also noted, Zach, Mark Tremonti can shred. Guitar God, absolutely. Guitar God. Like you, I mean, you know, mo when most people are making fun of Creed, they're sort of just kind of reserving it for Scott Stapp because even the absolutely. biggest Creed haters have to like acknowledge Mark Tremonti. That guy's pretty good with his axe. Now so, act their rhythm section. They're I really actually love that band but for the singer. <laughs> <laughs> Again, if you really want to torture yourself, go look up Marlins Will Soar by Scott Stapp. And, you know, not only will you no longer like the Marlins, you may completely hate the game of baseball going forward. It's, it is a, it's a, it's quite rough. Marlins Will Soar. It's so bad. At one point, like pretty much, there's a chunk of the song where all he's just doing is reading like baseball glossary terms. <laughs> He like, knows was, Marlins don't like fly, was, right? Was, like oh fish. yeah, no, that's oh yes, and of course, Mar very well. A, a a you know you are absolutely right zoologically, Zach. Marlins cannot indeed soar. They can neither literally soar nor uh, can they figuratively soar in the sense that the baseball team was never any good uh, when that song was being used. Oh God. How did this? I wanted to have a rock and roll Hall of Fame discussion with you. How did it turn into me having to defend Creed? Because uh, Ryan, I wasn't going to let us do the same old, same old, where we just complain about the people who didn't get in or didn't get nominated. I was like, how can I make Ryan my friend? How can I make his life <laughs> terrible? And I thought, defend Nickelback and Creed. How would I make it happen? <laughs> All right. Um, lest, lest you get me like defending, you know, somebody else that is going to get me hate mail. Um, I want to move into some entertainment law news. Why did you judge me? You killed innocent people. The means to an end. You started a massacre. I caused the revolution. You betrayed the law. Thank you, Mr. Asante. I have, I'm going to do what I did with producer Lauren last week. Okay, Zach. I have two entertainment law stories for you. And I'm going to let you pick the story that I cover. Right? We have a story from last week that I didn't get to because Lauren didn't pick it. And I have a new story from this week. Okay. Now, the story that I... And the way I did it with producer Lauren last week is I tried to make the story that I wanted to talk about seem so obviously exciting that obviously she would pick it. And instead, she picked the other one because it was about breakfast cereal. And she thought that was delightful. I'm hoping I can have more success here with you, Zach Sloan. So here are the two entertainment law stories I have, and you get to pick which one we talk about this week. Do you want to hear about the torrid story of a management deal gone wrong in the shady uh, underbelly of the Miami music industry? Or do you want to hear about Rick Astley? I'd like to hear about Rick Astley, please. Damn it! <laughs> Come on, I'm never going to get to this story! Ah, see? Nobody wants to hear about Shady Miami. No, here, here's my here's my justification. <laughs> A, this is, um, if you're, this is your first time tuning in to Break to Business, um, read your contracts, get a lawyer, you're probably going to get screwed at some point. <laughs> so, okay, we got that story done. Tell me about Rick Astley. This is, damn it. I'm going to hold the, we're going to get to this one next week. I swear to God. I mean, by the time I get to this Miami artist management story, the case is going to have settled. Okay, well, fine. Uh, all right. Let's, let's talk about stupid Rick Astley. That's not true. I don't, I don't mean that Rick Astley is stupid. I mean, the fact that I have to cover this story is stupid. Rick Astley is a worldwide global treasure. Uh-huh. And so here's, I just Rick rolled you. <laughs> you did indeed. You you did indeed rickroll me. And so we'll talk about this before we bring in Jeremy Facknitz here in the next segment. Um, so Rick Astley, we know him from the Rickroll and, uh, you know, never going to give you up and all that. He has filed a lawsuit in Los Angeles against the uh, artist Young Gravy and his collaborators, alleging that Young Gravy infringed on his right of publicity when Young Gravy used a... Uh, a cover of never going to give you up in his song in a young gravy's new hit song, Betty get money. 
Now, here's what makes this case interesting, Zach. This is not a copyright case. Young Gravy did not steal Never Gonna Give You Up. It was properly licensed. Young Gravy went to the songwriters, got all the rights cleared, and didn't have to pay the label anything on the master royalty side because he didn't sample the track. They re-recorded the track. So there wasn't a sample, so you know they didn't have to get the label's permission, just the songwriters, which they did. So all the paperwork done. And so you might be asking, well, why was there a lawsuit? If they cleared the rights, if they did everything they were supposed to do, why is Rick Astley suing them? And the reason why is because uh, Young Gravy had another singer come in and basically had that singer sound as much like Rick Astley singing never going to give you up as possible. And if you, if you go listen to the track now, if you didn't know better, you would think that they got Rick Astley to come into the studio and sing that song again, but they didn't, they got a, a completely different person to do it. So what Astley is arguing is that you didn't infringe on any copyrights, but instead you infringed on what they call in California, the right of publicity, where you are using a person's name, likeness, voice, or other distinctive characteristics for commercial purposes. Now, as far as the law goes, this is a pretty interesting and novel question. Like there've been some, there's been some case law about this, but to my knowledge, I'm not aware of a lawsuit where somebody was accused of basically using an, an artist's voice without getting that artist in the song. And there's a real question as to whether or not that actually violates any laws. And so this is a this is a pretty wild, brand new kind of interesting case that's got entertainment lawyers like me uh, quite interested. I'll tell you what's fascinating to me about this is I remember a similar talking point um, coming up from a metal singer who was a master impressionist, and he his way around he struck a deal with a like he reached out preemptively to some labels and said, "Hey, I can sound exactly like this guy, this guy, this guy. Will you just pay me to not do it?" And they did. And I wish wow. I wish I could just remember who he was because he, he's a voiceover actor. And um, but since he took care of it ahead of time, there's yeah. no case law. So I I have no idea how this will turn out. I kind of don't care. And I'm really just happy I trolled you. Um, <laughs> I but mean, I feel bad for everybody involved. I mean, this first of all, let's not forget this guy's name is Young Gravy. All right. He's already made some decisions that he's probably not thrilled about. Um <laughs> You know, we've got uh, this Rick song's Ast- a hit. All right, this guy didn't just come off the turnip truck. This no, song, no, no, Betty, I, is is a hit, legit hit right now. Oh no, it's um, I, I've actually heard the song, and I I didn't realize that wasn't Rick Astley. So your point is, Aha! um, they're gonna call you as a witness in that case. Oh God, please don't. <laughs> um, dude, I, this is fascinating. I don't know how this yeah. goes. Here's the there, here's the best thing to come out of this case, in my opinion, is. Uh, people are already having fun with it. Because when I was researching this case, the first thing I said was, I'd like to read the actual complaint, which I was having trouble finding by Googling it. And so I went into Twitter and I just typed in, you know, Rick Astley, Young Gravy complaint, just trying to find it. And I found a tweet where somebody wrote, I have a copy of the complaint. If you'd like to read it, just click this link. And I clicked the link and what happened? I got got Rickrolled. It took me to the damn never going to give you up video. Oh, so mad. But I did eventually find the complaint. There is actually one case that I remember from my entertainment law days. I had to kind of reread it again to remind myself that that is, I think, the closest case on point for what might happen here, or at least give us some guidance. So in California, uh, it also happened there. This was back in 1988. All right. The Ford Motor Company licensed a Bette Midler song that they wanted to play in one of their Ford commercials for their their latest automobile. And they got the song approved and they could not get Bette Midler to appear in the commercial. She was like, I don't want to sing in your commercial. You can't afford me. I'm the divine Miss M. And so they brought in a sound alike to basically sing the song who was not Bette Midler, but everybody thought it was Bette Midler. And Bette Midler sued Ford and said, you stole my voice. You brought in, this is violating my right of publicity. You have used my voice for commercial purposes. And the Ninth Circuit in that case actually agreed. They said, yep, you can't do that. You, 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 you're stealing her voice. You're commercializing her voice without paying her for it. But that case is a little different because it doesn't involve a, the, the actual work. It involves a commercial, mm-hmm. right? So 
it so it's sort of similar to if you were to get you know Tom Cruise to appear in an ad for your commercial and somebody showed up and say hey I'm Tom Cruise endorsing this product but you don't actually hire Tom Cruise you hire a yeah. lookalike that's kind of what this is and so yeah. I think there's a difference between using a person's voice in a TV commercial versus using a person's voice in just a regular song I'm not sure if the two cases are close enough that this is going to go the same way that 1988 case did, but it's uh, it's it's really interesting. And I think depending on how this case goes is going to dictate a lot of future case law, because I think a lot of artists are going to want to do stuff like this, right? Like licensing interpolations are very popular yeah. in the music industry right now. Yeah, I mean, this is I want to keep a close eye on this because at first I was kind of just busting your chops saying I didn't I didn't care. <laughs> and now I'm like heavily invested because like the the legal nerd of me is wondering what case law is on point. What can what arguments can you make on both? This is fascinating, dude. Thank you for sharing that. I, I'm so glad I tried to rickroll you. Hold on a second, though, because now my brain is going back into the like list. What if they okay what he's doing and then he approves the use of his song in an advertisement for a Ford commercial? Wait, like, so I just I just got a headache because I wasn't sure who the they and the he is in your in your example. Run that one by me again. Okay, Young Gravy gets the okay that using a voice that sounds like Rick Astley is okay, but now Young Gravy approves the use of his song for the use in a Ford commercial. Yeah, right? see, he I, I think could do that. And so, like, oh, by setting the precedent, yeah, we right. wind up messing that up. I know my 20 degrees of separation. Meh, meh, meh. Um, but the case law that you presented, I think, is valid because that could be used that way. That's actually an excellent point, Lauren. And what I think it would suggest is. The lesson here is if you're, you know, if you're thinking of doing this, don't do this, right? Mm -hmm. Just, you know, if you want to have Rick Astley's voice in your song, just bring in Rick Astley. Like, I'm sure they could have afforded him, right? And it would have been cool because you could have said Rick Astley was in your song. That might have gotten you some interesting cachet since he's kind of the most famous singer on YouTube right now. Just because, you know, like that Rick Roll video is all over the place. So and right. And so if it, it creates a scenario where even if young gravy gets away with this and it's and, you know, and a court says it's OK, if they want to use this same song in a, in a commercial, as Lauren noted, they could wind up running into the Bette Midler situation, which, which by the way, is an amazing band name. We should Bette. trademark that. So young gravy, I know I took a shot at you earlier and I apologize. I would like you to please try and get this song in a Fiat commercial. Um, <laughs> nothing would make me happier. <laughs> Young Gravy, opening act, the Bed Midler situation. I love it. <laughs> All right. Um, I still can't believe I didn't get to this damn... It's such a good case, this Miami Artist Management case. Maybe next week, because we got to take a break, because we need to hear from our guest this week, Jeremy Facknitz. Don't go anywhere. Keep checking out Break the Business. We'll be right back. Never going to give you up. Ryan Carella here. I hope you're enjoying the show, and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you. A lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program, and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm RKPA does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Corella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life.
Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Break the Business, everybody. You can check us out on all major podcast platforms, live streaming platforms, and Sirius XM 145. Much love to Slam Radio. Wherever you're checking us out, we are happy to have you. Ryan Corella here with our co-host, Zach Sloan. Producer Lauren, can I chat with you for a second? Absolutely. I would like to deputize you for an important mission. Okay. By the end of this show, I would like for the viewers and listeners to get to enjoy, and I put that word in air quotes, the Scott Stapp masterpiece, Marlins Will Soar. I don't think you will have an easy job finding it, because again, the Marlins and Scott Stapp went out of their way to excise this piece of music from the universe, but I trust your Googling skills. I think you can find it by the end of the show, and if you can, I'd love to play like you know, 12 seconds of it before we wrap up for this week. Can you try to check that and yes. see if you can find that for us? Challenge accepted. Yes. Though I'm going to feel really bad if I fail at this, but challenge accepted. If anyone can do it, it's you, Lauren. I believe okay, bye. Um, Before we bring in our guests, uh, let me tell you a bit, a little bit about our guest next week, because I would like to say that we have never had a guest for the, for next week that has sounded more like, the guest that an NPR show in Brooklyn would have. Okay. <laughs> Our guest next week is Harvard Law Professor Alan Jenkins and New York Times bestselling graphic novelist Gon Golan. I mean, like, is that, if that is not the most NPR sounding guest you've ever heard, um, but that is next week. Let Are us you focus. Whisper for that entire. Oh, we have to. I think that's the rule where you lose your, uh, you lose your public funding. But I'm focused on the here and now, Zach Sloan, for the guest we have this week. I'm very, very excited to have this gentleman joining us. He is a Colorado-based folk artist whose latest album, Smiling at the Future, will be coming out next month. The debut single off the album, as of this morning, is available now, and you can find out more about our guest by visiting www.jeremyfacknitz.com. We are happy to welcome Jeremy Facknitz on a Break the Business. Hello. Hello, Ryan. How are you doing? Doing so well. I love the look. I think those headphones are magnificent. I love the old school football wool shirt. You look like you were playing football in a time when we called tight ends flankers, and I'm here for it. <laughs> I'm definitely a flanker, for sure. 100%. <laughs> now, before you were here, Jeremy, we were talking about what I think is kind of the coolest thing that you've been up to lately, a really impressive achievement that we want to talk to you more about here on the front end which is your Kickstarter campaign that you recently launched for your new album, Smiling in the Future. You raised over $15,000, certainly worth the cartoon party, party horn sound effect. But what I thought was interesting about your project is that, like, is unlike most album Kickstarters, where the artist basically just says, I haven't made this album yet, give me money so I can make my album, you told your fans, look, straight up, the album is done. I finished it. What I need $15,000 for is my digital ad campaign for and other press for the album. I need this money for what happens next now that I've gotten the album done, which is something that I'll confess I don't see very often an artist just being that honest in their Kickstarter campaign. What motivated you to focus your Kickstarter on funding the promotion of your album rather than the creation of it? I think it was mostly timing. I, I had finished the album... I was close to finishing the album and it was a hefty price tag. I worked with Jared Headley in here in Colorado Springs. He's a fantastic producer, but he's, he's not cheap. And, uh, and uh, it was sounding great. And uh, I had uh, lunch with a folk artist here in town uh, who's far more famous than me, Edie Carey. She's a good friend of mine. And she had done a Kickstarter for her album, The Veil, which came out this past June. And she raised over $40,000. And... Um, I was talking to her. She worked with this company out of Los Angeles called Sideways Media. They did all her promotion. They did a great job for her, but also another hefty price tag. And I, mm. I told her, I just spent so much money on this album. I just, I don't know. Publicity is a tough thing to, to invest in because it's not a guarantee. It's, you know, who knows what's going to happen. And she said, oh, just do a Kickstarter for it. And I said, Edie, I have to remind you again, I don't have fans like you do. And so <laughs> it's hard to do that kind of thing. And 
she was getting pretty angry because I've said that a few times. And she said, you will not believe who comes out of the woodwork. So I brought the idea to my band and a few other people. I said, you know, I've already paid mostly for the album. What I need is the money for publicity. I think I'm going to do a Kickstarter for publicity. And my keyboardist, John Standish, who's, who's the most opinionated guy in the band, and I appreciate him for that. He said, that's intrinsically flawed. You can't, you can't do a Kickstarter for the publicity. You can do a Kickstarter for the project, but you, you should probably, it's not going to work. And I was like, why not? I mean, it's, to me, they're one and the same. What's the point of having this $20,000 album if no one's going to hear it? Not, not that my fans and my friends and family are no one, but you know what I mean? Like, I, I need to get it out there. I've invested this much. Help me go the rest of the way. So while I was a little bit ticked at his opinion, I was thankful for it because him having that perspective, I kept that in mind when I was making my Kickstarter movie. I thought, okay, talk to the John Standishes out there. Talk to the Zach Sloans, who apparently thought it was a terrible idea too. I didn't know that, Zach, but now I know. And it's, it's like, I, I basically said that. I was like, the album's done. What am I doing on Kickstarter? I'm glad you asked. It doesn't mean much to have a beautiful album if nobody hears it. And so I said, I'm, I'm 44 years old. I'm not going to blow up on TikTok. I can't even spell TikTok. This is how I think I'm going to find my base, uh, handing it over to somebody who's who, the experts who can uh, figure out what my demographic is, figure out, get, get my stuff, get my video, get my music in front of potential fans. And, um, you know, I, I shocked John. I, I surprised Zach maybe. And, uh, I did it. I raised the $15,000. You know what I like about oh, sorry, go ahead, Zach. To say he surprised me, like when this broke, my first thought was, because Jeremy and I are friends. Like, I, I care about this dude. I was like, I hope this doesn't backfire. I could see the trolls coming out of the woodwork. And then, dude, the more I thought about it, I was like, I think Jeremy might be a genius. <laughs> I Like, the more I thought about it, because the idea never left me, I kept going, I think he has hit something that just nobody else has done yet. And the more I dug, the more my the gears turned, the more I was like, no, he's right. I have been thinking about Kickstarter wrong for a very long time. What I like about Jeremy's approach, Zach, is the honesty of it. Because yes, exactly. Here's the dirty little secret of a lot of album Kickstarter campaigns. In a lot of those campaigns, the album is already done or is at least close to done. But the artist isn't telling the fans that. They're telling the fans, I need this money to make the album. But they're absolutely going to use the money to fund yep. the marketing and promotion. But they don't tell the audience that because they're afraid that the audience isn't going to respond positively to hearing that. They think the audience only wants to fund the actual making of the music. But what Jeremy's wildly successful campaign shows is that we're not giving the audience enough credit. They want to, you know, they think that bringing the music into the world is a valuable expedition as well and they want to help fund that too yeah i tried to instill that i tried to make them help them understand that that's that that's something that's worth supporting and i think that i don't know i i never got the impression that i mean some people that i thought were going to give and i was kind of counting on them did not give and maybe they didn't like the idea and that's fine um, but other people did come out of the woodwork that I wasn't expecting and uh, woodwork and, and I wasn't expecting them to, uh, to give and contribute to it. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it, I, I think people, I, I asked for help and people came, people said, wow, Jeremy has worked hard his whole life. I've known this guy. I, I used to work for me. He used, I, I, saw, I saw his show in Appleton, Wisconsin, 13 years ago, and I followed him and, He's never asked for anything. He's asking for something here. This must be the real deal. I'm going to contribute. And people people did. Wow. that That's inspiring. And I feel like lately yeah. we don't hear about Kickstarter as much. Am I off base with this, Zach? Like when we think of crowdfunding, I think Patreon kind of gets more uh -huh. love these days. But like the traditional Kickstarter campaign, I'm making this one thing. Help me either create this one thing or in Jeremy's case, bring that thing that I've created out into the world. There's still a place for that, and as Jeremy's example shows, it can still be successful. But I keep hearing you, Jeremy, say things like that your fan that that people came out of the woodwork for this. That you you had said that you didn't expect this kind of turnout. What what is the lesson from this? That like artists should think that there are more fans out there than they think they are, and that if you 
build it, they will come. And, you know, don't feel like, is it that don't, you shouldn't feel like you shouldn't do a Kickstarter if you don't think you have enough fans because you don't realize how many fans you have. Yeah. And the people like, for example, uh, my first girlfriend, we were together from the time I was 19 to 22. So this is a century ago. We haven't spoken in 15 years. She contributed 50 bucks. You know, things like that, not even like a fan, but people who maybe you've touched in your life and who have and you who you've old friends, uh, family members, distant, like extended cousins. Um, meanwhile, where like, you know, there were there are people who are house concert hosts who were really close to me. I thought, well, I got some coin. They're going to pony up. And they didn't. But it, it was <laughs> shocking how, you know, just like her, like Autumn, like my first girlfriend, for example, her name is Autumn. Hello, Autumn. If, if she's following along, thank you so much. I, I just, that's the stuff like that. And that's what Edie told me, Edie Carey told me. She said, you won't believe who comes out of the woodwork and, and is there to support you. And she was right. It was shocking. You must be wildly charming, Jeremy. I'm thinking of the person I dated from 19 to 22. I'm pretty sure she'd sooner give me a kick in the shin than $50 for anything. I deserve the same thing. I was a, I was just, a, I was emotionally five years old and uh, I don't know how she put up with me, but <laughs> she, but you know, she gave me a 50 and uh, I sent, <laughs> I sent her a CD and, and a thank you note. That's what I was working on all month though, was uh, I wrote thank you notes to every single person, all 126 uh, supporters and uh, just uh, personally, oh, and including, including, and including Zach that, Sloan including holding up his CD there. He, he yeah, thought it was a terrible idea, but then he supported it. Dude, <laughs> and he did, Jeremy did, by the way, I, I think that's a big part of like successful Patreons and fan base. Jeremy, Jeremy's my friend. He didn't have to write me a handwritten note. He did it anyway. <laughs> and so I know if he wrote me a note, he wrote every single person who contributed a note. Yeah. That's marvelous. Can I ask the of the person who raised, who made this successful Kickstarter happen, who did it with an unorthodox approach, let's fund the promotion of the thing instead of the thing. Do you have any general advice to give to the artists out there in terms of what they might do to make their Kickstarter campaign successful? There's going to be, um, you know, people can contact you through Kickstarter and mm -hmm. That can be kind of tough. Um, you know how if you post something on Instagram and you get all these people who want you to, to uh, pay for promotion. Uh, it's the same thing with Kickstarter. I got some real like interesting messages that were pretty manipulative, um, like kind at first. Like, I really love what you're doing. You're doing a great project, but you're not going to make your numbers. You might want to invest in promotion. That's not a nice thing to say. I'm doing just fine, you know? And, <laughs> and uh but I, I would say, I mean, I worked it. I didn't just like launch the Kickstarter, make a cute movie with some edits and some sound effects and just put my hands behind my back. Uh, uh, Thanksgiving Day, I spent six hours before I had a bunch of turkey emailing everybody a personal message. Like it, some of it was copied and pasted, obviously, but like their name, a sentence about how they're doing and then the body of the email uh, about the Kickstarter. Um, not just assuming that my socials would reach them because we all know about algorithms. And so uh, I, I went the extra mile and it was a, it was a big job for me. Um, a lot, it took a lot of time and I, I took it very seriously. Another a tip I'd say is keep it short. Mm. Honestly, uh, they say, I've heard people say a good Kickstarter length is three weeks and you think, well, the longer, the better. It's like, no, make it an intense, concentrated amount of time. Sense of urgency. Sense of urgency, hit it hard. Um, on my socials, I would update every three days, two days at near the end, every every day near the end, where we're at, how far we have to go, list the prizes all again, let them know what they can attain and what, what prizes they can get. Um, it was a, it was a um, political campaign. I was trying to become president or something. I don't know. It was a lot of work, but paid off. And if we want to use the the uh what's the term i'm looking for here the analogy of a political campaign to what you did it sounded like the key to your success was the retail politics as opposed to the wholesale politics like a lot of the advice that you see in, in how to do a successful kickstarter is is about wholesale politics make a really great engaging video make sure you have the right uh messages in the kickstarter make sure you have the right rewards make sure that you great have great tweets and facebook posts 
And what Jeremy's example tells us is it was the one-on-one stuff. It was the communicating with individual people. It was making the pitches to every single person on a one-on-one basis. And that's what got you over the line. And that's not the advice you hear in the, in the how-to Kickstarter guides. I'm really interested in that perspective. Well, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of yeah. extra work, you know, <laughs> but I've, I've, I've tend, I tend to, I've, I, I tell people I've always worked hard, not smart. And, uh, <laughs> but this worked out for me. This is where it worked out. Um, it, just having that like personal touch. And then I think too, it's very important that I thank everybody. One, I'm super grateful I because it was, I did know that there was some inherent risk to doing something this kind of off the wall. And I'm super grateful that we met our goal genuinely. And I was able to wake up every morning this past few weeks and write like two hours of thank you notes, which is a great way to start your day because um, you're just in that gratitude. And I think sending that off to people, it's like, listen, not, you have this, you know, we're, we're, we're family now, you know, and if hopefully I don't need to ask you for money ever again, but if I do, maybe you'll consider uh, doing so, you know, and, and, and just, you know, it's all about relationships and, uh, you know, a clever movie and the things you do on the socials and all that stuff. That's great. When you're asking people for money, you've got to, you've got to hug them. You got to shake their hand. You got to, I think you have to, I, I, I didn't have faith that just that stuff alone was going to do the job. If I wanted to get this money, I, I thought for myself, it's like, I got to, I got to contact these people on a personal basis. This makes me so happy, Zach. This is the, this is the quintessential indie artist success story. This is, I mean, a completely independent, uh, campaign using a great independent, uh, creator tool like Kickstarter and making it happen the way that an indie creator does one-on-one communication, actual talking to people and not just relying on the, social media tools that distance us from each other this this is absolutely charming what a what a fantastic success story zach thank you uh zach for for letting me know about this terrific artist dude i just like i said the, from the moment i first read the email from jeremy the more i thought about it the more it just made sense and i have to ask jeremy this question jeremy you can not answer this if you don't want to did you ever think about lying did you ever think about going the traditional way of like hey i need the money for the record I or were you just album. like or I, 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 I said it. it, I said it. Like I was talking to John, who was the one who was the most adamant about how his words were, this is intrinsically flawed, which <laughs> I was like, okay. And uh, I was like, Another okay. Another great band name. Yeah, a great. Such a I jazz know. piano player. <laughs> <laughs> and I, that's at the point I was talking to him. I was like, do I lie then? Do I just, do I just lie and say, Oh, I need this money to go in the studio. I mean, I'd already posted on my socials. I'm very, I'm very, I'm an open book. I'm like, I'm in the studio right now. It's March, 2022. I'm in the studio. It's June, 2022. I'm in the studio. And then I come out in November asking for money to make the album. I just, no, it's like, I, 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 not seriously to answer your question. It was just more of a comment in him. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to be honest and, uh, and just, uh, and just go for it. Wow. That's, that's amazing. And I I do want to hear the fruits of the labor of your, of your latest album. We're, we're going to have you play your latest uh, single as of this morning. But before we do, I have a couple more things on this punch list that are not related to your Kickstarter that I do very much want to talk about. Uh, The first is apparently in addition to being a very impressive indie folk artist, you also have a hidden talent for creating mascot heads. <laughs> and your story of creating this mascot head is actually a really great example of just a DIY artist DIYing something into existence. And so can you tell us about your mascot head story? Yeah, so um, so the, the, the logo of the album is this uh, smiley face with... Uh, and this is for the TV, uh, the Twitch viewers, but there's a smiley face with a... Um, headphones thing headphones on the smiley face head and my director for the smile of the future video which is going to come out uh, march 31st he said i want uh i want that mascot i want a mascot costume and we're gonna film in like nine days or something maybe it was less than that maybe it was more like six or seven so we're on amazon trying to figure out oh we need a smiley face costume and it's like okay it's 260 bucks and it won't be here until 
April. So, uh, okay, that's not going to work. So I started going around to costume makers in Colorado Springs and asking them, showing them the picture and saying, can you make this? And they're like, yeah, I can 150 bucks, you know, hundred bucks, 200 bucks. And I wasn't feeling confident about their, what they were going to offer me. And so I started thinking, maybe I can do this. I've never done this before, but I know I can probably buy some styrofoam and some some felt and uh, maybe a maybe a, a blanket or yellow. I, I think I can do this. So I went to Michael's, and uh, two more trips to Michael's later, um, I, I got it. I figured it out, and I, I created the smiley mask. And the only thing, that, uh, the caveat is that you can't see through it, but it looks great. <laughs> so, uh, so my wife wore it in the smiling at the future video. She was like smiley dancing, and I've used it on my TikTok for um, promotionals reasons and promotional things and then i'm going to have it at the shows so people can after the show they're at the merch table they can come get their picture with smiley so does this thing exist is yeah. this something we can see like you can't talk about this mask and not bring it into our lives oh my god that's the best you made that yeah it's uh it's two row two circles of styrofoam and then on the inside there's another styrofoam half bowl with like some uh, what do they call this? Like the bubble wrap to, to sit on the head. And then uh, a lot of hot glue and a lot of duct tape. I can put it on if I take my headphones off. I won't be able to hear yes, you. Yes, we're going to need that, please. Please do it. I mean. Oh, my glasses. <laughs> Holy crap. Now, I know you said you can't see out of this, but like, could you play the song that way? <laughs> He can't hear you. I that know, makes me so happy. That is incredible. Amazing. I, I can't wait till he puts yeah. his headphones back on so I can compliment him. Wow. Those giant headphones well, I don't can't work. See a thing that's, and that's on. But. Wait, Lauren. While we have you here in the studio, yes. how is our how is our Creed how is our Scott Stab song coming along? Have oh, we? Oh, it is totally loaded up and ready to go. All right, all right. Thank you for letting me know. We will come back Love to that it. in a second. There's a lot going on here. We got I a mascot head. We got a Scott Stab song. It's it's crazy. So, look, Jeremy. I I say this like acknowledging that you are a terrific uh, songwriter and recording artist. But your artistic talents are wasted. You need to be in the mascot head business. That thing is a work of art. It was fun. Thank you. Thank you. It was fun. I mean, you know, and, and it, it was an example. I mean, actually, the Kickstarter kind of helped me do that because the Kickstarter was something that was kind of scary. It was something I didn't have a lot of faith in being successful, but I did it anyway. And so a month later, I'm like, I'm sitting at Michael's going, do I try to do this? Am I going to waste like $30 on materials. It's, this isn't going to work. I don't know what I'm doing. And I, I said, trust yourself and do it. And uh, there's, there's an element of luck, but, but yeah, I'm pretty proud of how smiley turned out. Uh, I wish I could yeah. see through them, but uh, you know, <laughs> well, <laughs> and, and speak, speaking of great art, artistic achievements of Jeremy Fagnitz, um, I, I want, I would love to hear the song now so that we have enough time to get your final piece of advice and hopefully squeeze in at least 30 seconds of this Scott Stapp Marlin song. We have a lot to do before we lose radio in seven or eight minutes. Uh, Jeremy, if you could, could you uh, regale us with your latest single as of this morning? Yeah, sure, sure. It's a positive breakup song. Hopeful breakup song. Feels like we're on a movie screen. Acting out a final scene All's well now we finally reached the end The last on the camel's back The screeching wheel of a Cadillac Driving off as we fade to black As of this morning Oh, as of this morning well, I've come to face the truth I've been ignoring as of this morning. We've been singing different melodies, filing up the analogies. Still, you're gonna wait for hell to freeze before you let our curtains fall. And if I dare to look deep in your hazel green sky. Well, I'm gonna see what the song really means. I can feel it from the melody. Yeah, yeah. As of 
this morning. Always of this morning. Well, I've come to face the truth I've been of this morning as we awoke to twist our knives and rub each other's wounds with salt the morning broken I could finally read the writing on the wall so don't go out surprised and don't go making it wrong when it's been right there in front of our eyes for so long As of this morning, oh, as of this morning, well, I've come to face the truth I've been ignoring. Oh, as of this morning, just as of this morning, well, it's crystal clear to me. was as of this morning by our guest jeremy fagnitz here on break the business find out more about our guest work by visiting jeremy jeremy that was lovely thank you oh, so thanks. much for playing that thank okay, you okay here's what i'd like to do um lauren before we get jeremy's final question um i would love it if we could get about let's say 20 to 30 seconds of scott stapp's marlins will soar uh okay. just so we can all enjoy it collectively together I loaded up for like your 15 second request. So you just get your little Marlins and then your chorus. So should that, be that, quick. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> this, this encapsulates the torture of what it is to be a Marlins fan. They keep going with it because the, the verse is funny. One strike, two strikes, swing away. A diving catch, a stolen base. <laughs> a perfect game, a triple play. Another playoff race, yes. Well, series chance will be. I forgot about the sound effect of the ball hitting the bat. And yeah, and so in that verse, all he's doing is just reading baseball glossary terms. A fielder's choice, a sacrifice burnt. Can't feel fly rule. Oh, oh man. Step. Should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Jeremy, before we I let agree. you before we let you go, do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? Sometimes sometimes the things that scare you the most are the things you have to do or the things you have to try. And you can't, especially, I've been doing this a long time, so I've become accustomed to loss and failure. Uh, but um, it's something that you have to get good at in order to do these things because if, if you've done it before and you've fallen on your face, 
you know you're going to get up and brush your face off. You're going to have some cuts here and there. And it's it's going to be bloody, but you're going to be okay. And that gives you the courage to try these things. And I'm not just talking about the Kickstarter. I'm talking about Smiley, the mask. <laughs> so, <laughs> so just, uh, you know, sometimes, yeah. Uh, and there's more people who love and support you than you know. Um, and your campaign is a tremendous example of that and just a tremendous example of what indie creators can achieve with hard work and really leaning into their fan base. Jeremy, this has been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks to Zach Sloan as well. Thanks to producer Lauren. Thanks to Scott Stapp, our musical guest in addition to Jeremy. <laughs> um, and our thanks to all of you viewers and listeners for checking out Break the Business. We will see you next week.